everyone, and welcome to another episode of Unscripted Equity Curiosity, a, a podcast hosted by me, Hedgeye Technology, Ami Joseph, and Andrew Friedman, Hedgeye Communications, and Sia Wang, Hedgeye China. Today, with us today on the phone is Andrew, um, and we're going to talk to Andrew. You know, as you heard from the last episode, um, me, Ami, I'm you know, looking for inspiration on the short side and trying to, you know, kind of like refresh the brain. Um, the conversation with Felix on the last episode was really helpful, but I need more. So uh, I'm greedy like that. So I'm, I, I, I want to pick on Andrew today. We're going to pick on Andrew today and we're going to find um, a short that Andrew has done recently. Andrew, tell us about a short you found recently, how you found it, what made you start to think, hmm, this isn't a long, um, what, were the, what was the thesis, what was the signs that, what was the potential that you were wrong? Like, what was the, like, the long case that you could have gotten potentially, you know, wrapped up in if you were kind of hadn't figured this out? And how did you figure out a short thesis? And what were the declarative moments that along the way that kind of validated um, the short? Um, like, how did you find this thing? I guess maybe start with that. Um, and then we'll, I'll, I'll interrupt you a billion times like normal and go from there. Yeah, and please interrupt me. Um, so I, I think we're, we'll talk about uh, Fubo TV today because it's just uh, near and dear to my heart. Um, we've been very vocal about it on the short side um, for about at least six months, maybe a little bit longer now. Um, <clears throat> but it initially hit my radar uh, around this time last year because it was – a formerly private company. Um, we knew that we, we, we have done previously, we have done a lot of work in the media space around streaming, you know, SVOD, AVOD, also this emerging class of uh, services called VMVPDs, so virtual multi video program distributors. And that's just a fancy term for like cable pay TV, right? So instead of going and paying $70 a month to get, you know, 80 channels from Comcast delivered through your cable box. Instead, you subscribe to a Fubo TV for, call it $65 a month, uh, get a similar channel lineup, but no contract, and you subscribe digitally through the Roku channel. And it's a monthly subscription uh, with no contract. And, you know, the uh, industry is not, it's, it's new, uh, really kind of kicked off in 2016 as a skinny bundle. Um, so YouTube TV, Hulu Live TV, these are all kind of competitors. Um, <clears throat> and the value proposition initially was that, look, like the bundle is this terrible, mispriced um, value proposition to the consumer. Uh, you're, you know, you don't need 100 plus channels of content if you only watch 20 channels. So let's create an alternative service um, that provides a lot of flexibility, only like 20 or 30 channels at a much lower cost at like $30 a month. Now, that gained a lot of traction in 2016. Um, and really, it was kind of predatory pricing in a way because, um, you know, it, it, the pricing was not sustainable. So one of the key features of these BMVPDs are that they have to pay out content costs uh, to the media companies that own the, own the content, and, and those are very substantial and often exceed the actual value of the subscription itself. 
So the business itself is kind of, you know, dubious or the sustainability is questionable because of, you know, the economics, right? Like if you're selling, you know, if you're getting a dollar and paying out a dollar twenty on the per subscriber, those economics don't really work for you in the long run. Something has to change. Unless if the market just keeps funding you forever, but that's a I won't go there. Um <clears throat> so anyway, um you know it but but that kind of quickly changed. So then over the years you know, these services started to raise price. So like YouTube TV went from $30 to 50 to 60 to now 75, you know, it's all the bad behavior that we saw with the media companies trying to consolidate and bundle everything and stuff all these channels down the throats of the distributors starts slowly uh, leak into the, the VMDPD space. So all of a sudden, you know, a YouTube TV, you know, has to now carry all the Viacom channels, which raised the price of the bundle by like $10, which you know, I'm pretty sure the vast majority of those who are listening to this um, probably don't, would not pay, you know, 10 or $15 a month extra just to have access to Comedy Central or MTV or Nickelodeon. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but you know, that just doesn't seem like a great value proposition. Um, and there's a lot of viewership metrics to kind of support that. Um, beyond just my kind of own subjective view. Um, so that's kind of how the emissions evolved. And, you know, historically, there really wasn't any public way to play it. It was, you know, yeah, you could play it with owning Disney because it has Hulu with live TV. You know, Google obviously is public and YouTube TV um, is big. Those are kind of the two big services out there. Um, but they're kind of all part of a broader uh, business model, right? So like YouTube TV is one element of YouTube and it's all about driving engagement. So you have another part of the business to kind of subsidize the losses at YouTube TV. Um, you know, if it's all in the effort of trying to drive a broader flywheel of engagement, the flywheel of growth across multiple business lines. So there, you know, you can kind of make, you can justify it. And especially if you're like at Disney and you own a lot of content, like including a lot of broadcast and cable networks, um, <clears throat> then it makes it the it's a, it's a little bit easier pill to swallow from a P&L perspective. All right. So in comes Fubo TV, which you know started initially as a soccer service, but it's a standalone VMDP. Um, that's their core business has been today. They received funding from a bunch of the media companies um, because the media companies saw the decline in the cable bundle. And so they were trying to figure out ways to kind of future-proof their businesses. So they made kind of small bets by taking equity stakes in a lot of these smaller VMDs, um, which I think a lot of people on the long side construed as like, oh, this is really positive, um, but they just <clears throat> understand the real history there. Um, you know, they, they invest in a lot of the MPPDs. Um, so we've been following Fubo kind of on the private side for a while, but it really didn't hit our attention until you know, this time last year when to do the reverse merger um, with Face, um, Face Bank Group, which was like this defunct company with some really strange IP on the OTC market, trading on the pink sheet. Um, and they did this reverse merger and somehow managed to hobble their way to an IPO on the New York Stock Exchange in October last year. And the stock, and I think they, they, the price 
when it went public was around $10, eight to $10. <clears throat> and it quickly got kind of swept up in like this SPAC growth stock. And I had been following it, but it just didn't really seem super interesting to me. Um, it was certainly something that was not going to be like a best idea on the bars because I knew that how terrible the business they were. Um, and also, you know, the viability of a standalone service really, you know, continue to grow subscribers to a place where they can actually start to leverage their content costs in a meaningful way. Uh, it was just a low probability bet, high risk bet um, with a really unsustainable business model. And that was burning a ton of cash, incredibly questionable accounting, hasn't been able to hold the CFO role, read through their initial S1. They were basically on the brink of insolvency every six months. And I'm not saying that to be cute. I'm like, that's reality. Like they were legitimately on the brink of insolvency, like going from capital raise to capital raise, burning, you know, a hundred million dollars a year cash. So that was something that just didn't really seem wildly interesting, but it seems interesting to a lot of people because the growth rates were, you just looked at the subscriber growth and the revenue growth were very impressive, right? We're talking triple digits. Um, even though we're coming off of a very small base of call it 200,000. So it got caught up in the growth craze. The stock just went from, I think it, there was some, you know, kind of like Reddit. We talked about that a few weeks ago in another episode, but it definitely kind of became like a meme stock. Uh, got caught up in the Reddit crowd. It was one of the top stocks talked about. Um, you know, there was some quote gurus on Twitter uh, about it um, and kind of pitching it as like the next Roku. And it actually just made me think about how much people like just how misunderstood, you know, this, a lot of these names are in the market because some people that were really bullish and vocal on Roku that appeared right for the right reasons, you know, obviously had a very, you know, poor knowledge base of the industry and how it's actually structured. If you actually can sit there and compare it to, no food road roku so anyway till really like december when the stock went from 12 to 13 dollars um at like a market cap of call it like 2 billion um and it went up to almost 60 dollars in december and i was on vacation <laughs> i was i was with my family up uh you know visiting my father uh, trying to take it easy. Um, we had just come off like a pretty busy quarter for new ideas and content. And, but, you know, the markets don't care about that, right? And so we had this kind of fat pitch. The sell side was pumping it to some crazy valuations, like, like 8 to 10 billion market cap. It was lazy analysis. They had the entire, like, shares outstanding were wrong. Like, the number of share count is like two being implied based on some of these sell side um, reports and definitely what like the data services were. So, you know, a, what people thought was like a three to four billion market cap company was actually like eight to 10. And, you know, the stock had just gone up like 5X, right? So you have that kind of momentum and people are like, oh, this thing's going to the moon, going to 100, it's going to 200, it's going to 300. <clears throat> and I'm just sitting there like, this is, this is crazy, you know, but it's a name that we understand and it was kind of a fat pitch in our, in our space. So, you know, for better or for worse, it 
kind of blew up that Christmas time. I actually ended up doing the Black Book on New Year's Eve. Um, timing wasn't ideal, but, you know, I mean, as you know, it takes does take time to actually not only do the research, but put all the pieces together and be able to present it in a coherent um, manner. Um, and it was also coming up to like right into a catalyst where there was going to be the lockup. And I mentioned before that a lot of these media companies had previously been investors. A lot of the reasons why they were investors is because FUBA was not in compliance with their content agreements. They were actually not paying out in cash content costs because they couldn't afford to. So they were in default. But instead, they were saying that instead they were offering um, media companies equity in the business, which they took. Was that? But uh, was that Andrew? Was that like an insight? Like, okay, so here's my question. Okay, question number yep. one. So, for, so for me, whenever I short something, uh, and and maybe this is just me being stupid, but whenever I short something. It, it can't be obvious. Like there actually has to be like a really good long case that I struggle with um, for it to become a great short and vice versa, by the way, I think too, but maybe this, that's just me. So I don't know. So was there a really good um, long case that you could have in theory actually like really meditated on and been like, Oh yeah, I could see how that could work. And maybe I'm going to be wrong here and this thing's going to go up 50%. So, um, so that's, um, so that's question one. Um, and then question two was, what, which part, like so far everything you said sounds like it would be public knowledge, like meaning like the fact that they were on the verge of, of, of insolvency every six months. Was that like a unique analysis or was that something the market knew? Like the fact that the media companies weren't getting paid and they were in default and they were just taking more stock. Is that, was that, where was the like the thing you found which you were like, okay, maybe a couple people have figured this out, but like this is actually going to be very unique and nobody <laughs> sees this. Like, what was the thing? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So those are two, yeah, those look, are two I mean, questions. I mean, honestly, Ami, uh, in this market, like, it's almost like a Nikola. Like, you know, like a company that doesn't have any profits, that's, or like an AMC. But, like, it's the same thing about like AMC. Like, what are people missing? What is the bull case? But, if it's a bubble, it's just a bubble. And it was just a pure speculative bubble. And the it was a retail-driven crowd. Like 90% of the volume was all retail. And it was pre-lockup. So there was like low float, high short interest, no institutional sponsorship, and a retail, massive retail close. So that's what drove it up. And also like the sell side pumping it. So like, like tactically... Like that's or like kind of structurally that that was the setup. Fundamentally, I mean, look, I think people just didn't open up like the S1, at least on the retail crowd. Uh, so there wasn't like any smoking gun here. I mean, I think it was just more or less putting together the pieces, the narrative, and explaining to people what it is. I mean, I didn't speak to any institution that was like this is the best business in the world. To your point on like where you could be wrong, I mean, there's a reason why we didn't touch it at like 12, 13, right? Because there's this concept of risk reward. You know, at $60 into a lockup, into tougher comparisons, it's just was just kind of like, this is just a no brainer, um, which it ended up being a no brainer because the stock went from like 60 down to 15 over the span of like six months. Now the bull case is if you actually believe that the future of TV is, is lies with linear forms of distribution and that the, quote, bundle and pay TV, which has primarily just been 
news and sports, where the bulk of the value, you know, is going to sustain and going to be the future. And people are still going to pay increasingly large, increasingly high, um, great amount of money each year for that to the tune of like 10%. Or do you believe that, you know, the future of video distribution lies with these streaming services like ESPN Plus, Paramount Plus, Netflix, Hulu, the list goes on and on. And a lot of that comes down to content and where the content's going and how, and all the best content's not going to these, those forms of um, distribution. Um, it's going towards the streaming services, right? Trying to renewals with a lot of sports rights going over to the streaming services where historically the only way to access that content was through a very expensive pay TV subscription, like Comcast or like getting a Fubo TV. So the bull case is that you believe that that market's sustainable and that you believe that this, call it seven, like this 80 million uh, current, uh, 80, mil, the 80 million uh, traditional pay TV subscribers, uh, that that market is that Fubo TV can, you know, capture 20, 30% of that. And that the BMVPD market is going to go from 10 million subs to 30 million subs. And, you know, Fubo is going to have, and so at some point you can think they're going to have like somewhere between five to seven, maybe even 10 million subscribers at some point in the uh, standalone VMPPD services um, out there, which would give them a lot of leverage against their content um, owners, which would help them ability to scale uh, the business, get better content costs, but also <clears throat> go, um, uh, you know, help with advertise, grow advertising revenues. And it's programmatic, so it's higher CPMs and blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of reasons why I don't think that's going to be the case. But that is the bull case. And then the other big part of the bull case is uh, sports betting and this idea that, you know, and it's not the first time, like you have this terrible – business, your core business is awful. It's never going to be profitable. Um, <clears throat> and so how can you, you know, kind of make it better or leverage that into a different business that's more profitable to help kind of, um, you know, beat, you know, throughout and raise, you know, another round of capital. Okay. 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 So, so here's a question for you. Okay. Let's fast forward five years or, or whatever duration you want. 10 years is fine. Is this a zero shot? Oh, or definitely. My, oh, wow. So this is I can say that, you know, I can just uh, hide it confidence. This is zero. I mean, there's a reason why I didn't take it off. You know, we didn't, we, we pivoted in our conviction saying like, you know, the stock's just about 60% and isn't there. But, you know, struck, like fundamentally speaking, this is a very high probability of just being a total zero. Like this should not be a public company. Um, and, the, and, the, and, the way, and the way shorts, and the way shorts get ruined here is if, like, someone, some stupid, like, for example, like, let's say private equity comes in and decides they want to recapitalize this whole thing and, you know, they're yeah. going to, like, make it all right with a wall of cash, essentially. And that's uh, because it sounds yeah, like... Yeah, I mean, liquidity, yeah. So, you know, access to capital is a lot of things, right? So when they did the recap through the IPO in August, in October, they... they Short up a lot of the issues that they had. They were able to pay back all their content companies, all the all their liabilities. They restructured their debt. They tapped, I think, like an extra three hundred million in capital. They were able to raise like a convertible at like a five dollars conversion price with mutual deletion. So they short up a lot of it, right? Because you know, like, and and also they were able to 
take that money and invest a lot of it in selling and marketing spend to help try to continue to grow subscriber acquisition. So um, I don't know if like private equity, like there were some early VCs in this thing. I mean, some actually some pretty well-known um, like high profile investors. Uh, so, you know, that's, yeah. But I, I don't know if like private equity would come in because there's really no like strategic value of the asset is super questionable. There's, the barriers to entry in this space are very, very low. Um, the it's very it's highly competitive and it's tied to a part of the media industry that's really in secular decline. I mean, they're growing quickly, but um, you know, it's not really what I think most would deem the future of things are going in content. Um, so there's it, a lot of challenges. Okay. We've okay. Seen, I have, like, yeah. Yep, okay. I have go two ahead. Follow ups. Two follow ups. One is. What do the employees say? Because like a lot of times, like when I find a short, um, I mean, I check this on every company, long and short, and there's always heat from employees. There's always something, right? But like the question is like, what, what are the employees writing about? So is there heat from employees? Um, like, what are they saying? Like, are they like, oh my God, we're going to conquer the world? Or are they like, it's a fraud? Like, you know, like that. No, that, well, no, it's that not. I don't, I don't think it's a Fraud. I mean, look, the, David Gandler is their CEO and founder. You know, he's become increasingly promotional. I mean, to have that type of business and keep it alive is not for the faint of heart, right? So he has definitely gotten great at telling a story. And you know, he, you know, and you know, they don't have many employees on me. Like, I think uh, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but it's it's a, it's not a large number by any stretch. Um, I'll be it's growing. Um, and so, like, if you go to like Glassdoor. They're mixed. They're fine. I mean, they're mostly they're, there's nothing like there's no really red flag on the on that front. Got it. Um, yeah, that answered the second question, which was, is the founder like I would have imagined the way you described this business that the founder got a check at some point and is like sitting on an island somewhere and like, no, I was not involved in that. I, you know, I'm not touching that. No, he's, so, he's he's highly he's highly engaged, and that's the risk, right? Whenever you have a founder, CEO, who's very highly engaged, highly motivated to grow this business. I think he's delusional, suffers from cognitive dissonance, like, you know, ignoring a lot of the realities of his business. Like, you know, like saying, he's like, he's on the record saying that the fact that the NFL signed a bunch of rights deals for street, that all of his, like all these other streaming services will then have rights to distribute NFL games, which is like the number one sport in the U.S., the most important sport, that distribution was held with Fubo TV and all the linear pay TV providers, like that's not good for your business. But somehow he said that it was, he's like, oh, no, this is great because it guarantees the viability of the sport for the next 10 years, which is important for us. So like that was never the issue. You know, the issue wasn't whether or not the NFL was going to go away or not. The issue is whether or not like I can just go watch the Super Bowl for free on Roku through the Fox Sports app or through a free trial subscription to us. Or if I can watch, you know, all Thursday night through Amazon Prime through my existing subscription, plus get all this other content at very low incremental cost to me versus having to go out and spend $70 a month on an expensive pay TV subscription, which by the way, I'm not watching a lot of time on that anyway. Right? So that's the issue with the core business. But everyone's really truly pulled up on the on the um, on the sports betting opportunity, which is a call option, and I think it's you know a mispriced call option, frankly. 
Um, but that's what people are kind of like, that's what Fubo has bet the future of the company on. And that's what the bull case is um, from investors from here. Oh, okay. So, so the, um, you know, we, yeah, we've, we've seen, you know, overly pro- promotional like founders before. Um, and usually when they're like, you know, texting, tweeting, whatever, things like that, that are like outside the world of relevance and everybody else is like, what the hell are you talking about? There's usually a lot of smoke in other areas. I, and that's the thing I was trying to get at with employees. Like, I mean, what do you, like, is there, is there, is there some other area where his insanity like will come through, like where, Oh, I talked to this partner and they like, I don't know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like, is there some, is there some heat generation here out of his, because when, when you have a founder who like promises like, Oh, we're going to climb the mountaintop and really they're like in the gutter. And that's the, the reality. And the, and <laughs> the reality and the vision are like on opposite ends of the spectrum. It, usually there's some kind of smoke that fizzles up that, that you can sniff around and find. Is there any, does that ring a bell at all? I mean, look, I, uh, I mean, yeah, the, 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 there's so many inconsistencies, right? Like going from saying like, we just had our, like in a press release saying we just had our best quarter in the company's history. Right. And then in the 10 Q saying that, you know, we're going concerned, <laughs> right. Or saying that, there's all these problems with our internal controls, right? So like narrative violations are a huge red flag, right? So, you know, uh, what you read in filings, what the attorney or what the lawyers make you put in and disclose versus what's actually being um, communicated in press releases and on conference calls. Um, you know, there's no shortage of accounting irregularities. Uh, their non-GAAP reported metrics for what it's worth are kind of a joke. The way that they classify a lot of their their um, costs are inconsistent with industry standards. Um, you know the list the list goes on. Like there's inconsistent like the, the many narrative violations too, like around sports betting, right? So like this isn't new. They historically had agreements with um, some pr- pretty large um, casino operators and sports um, leagues that they were supposed to leverage in a big way because it's a quote sports first focused streaming service. Um, but then those kind of fizzled out. Right. And then other things like it's a sports first focused streaming service, but they don't have a lot of the content. Like they don't have all the sports content on the platform. Right. So there's just a lot of just glare, like glaringly obvious. If you're just willing to peel back the onion, like a little bit, you find a lot. I mean, I'm sure we can go down the rabbit hole and dig up even more stuff, uh, which, you know, we're always constantly doing. Um, but I think we found enough to kind of enough smoke to, to raise the alarm. And like the CFO just left, you know, for, for whatever that's worth. And they haven't been able yeah, to. Yeah, that's amazing. CFO. Yeah, they haven't been able to keep a CFO in that seat for more than like two years. Right. Yeah, so, that's never a good sign. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just, but, but remember, remember this happened um, to our, like, you know, to our colleague with Tesla where um, the chief accounting, they couldn't keep the chief accounting officer for six months. Like they had three chief accounting officers. In like I mean, I am months so, yeah, I'm so, when it comes to shorts, I tend to, like, I like to think that my process avoids that, like, because I'm hyper-focused on the adoption curve, right? And I'm hyper-focused on the metrics that matter. Um, I feel like FUBO, you know, and so I, I am, and I, and I understand like access to capital can, 
solve a lot of things, right? You can sustain uneconomic behavior for a very, very long time, right? And then if, you can, if the market continues to fund that, right, then you could actually get to scale and then you have a real business, even if, you know, the returns on that capital are not that attractive. Um, so, but, but the thing is, it's like Tesla, and look, I'm not, I do not cover Tesla, so I'm just making that very clear. But like, I think you can make the argument that I'm going to throw out numbers here so that could be wrong, but this is just my basic knowledge. Like with Tesla, you're going from like 2% penetration of EVs to like 100% at some point in the future, right? Tesla was the leading company, right? So if they have 80% market share, 90% market share of a market that's 2% penetrated, you know, who cares if all this competition comes in and their market share goes to 70% if the total market adoption goes from 2% to 10% to 20%, right? And that's kind of like the Netflix argument, whereas like everyone was worried about competition too, like in 2016, because Amazon was launching, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the reality was that like SBOT adoption was still at like 20% going to 60%. So it was a rising tide. And in rising tide scenarios, it shorts really don't work very well unless if you actually have some type of like fraud or like a, just a really terrible business. Um, and in the case of Fubo, I run at the risk I run at, but I have the view that the TAM is not as large that I don't believe, like I, I, I can make the argument like the future is EVs. Okay, sure. Like why wouldn't it be or some hybrid version? But like Ami, like do you think, the future of TV, like, is going to be uh, paying $100 a month for live TV? I don't know. I don't, I, I, I don't think that's the case. I mean, I, I have my opinion. I know what the data in our survey work says. But I can tell you this. I just don't think it's a sustainable business. And what, I do think you think, that, what do you think is the future? What do you think is the future of TV? Oh, I, think, I, I mean, look, I think, first of all, like, owning and having original content know critical here to differentiate yourself and drive value you know keep in mind for fubo this is a business that has 10 percent monthly churn they literally go through all their subscribers in a given year and they have to go out and reacquire them at a negative uh, a negative um uh sack like they lose money oh my the god LCB, oh yeah, my the god LCB, yeah it's less than one now it's gotten better because it's gone from like 15 percent churn 20 percent churn down to 10 percent but I just don't think that they're ever going to be able to get, and this is a business that has like, you know, it's going to have around 800,000 subscribers. So it's not like we're talking millions and millions and millions. I mean, 800,000 is nothing to sneeze at, but you know, the subscriber acquisition costs are just a mess. So I think the future of TV is just really like what we've, it's like, it's in the hands of the media companies that have these streaming services, right? It's Netflix, it's Disney plus with Hulu and ESPN plus. If we look at who it's, what matters most is who owns the content, who owns the rights, right? Because, you know, Paramount and CBS with Viacom owns NFL, has NFL rights. They're going to use those rights to their advantage and keep them exclusive. Amazon's doing the same thing. And, it's, and really the biggest thing is that we started to see that happen first in the original content. But now it's actually happening with sports, which is the last biggest, which is the, you know, kind of the, the big, um, you know, the last man standing, you would have to have a live TV service. So I don't think it's sustainable. The other reason why it's not sustainable too is because they have like mid-single digit programming cost increases every single year. 
so they can't keep an efficient channel line up without blowing up their budget or without blowing up their, their P&L and, or raising price onto the consumer every single year, which is what we see. And the issue is that the value proposition every single time they raise the price gets worse and worse and worse. So then churn inevitably increases. Like we've seen all these other VMPBDs just absolutely flame out. Sony had PSU, right? Um, which they got to like 500,000 subscribers and they tried to sell that thing and they couldn't sell it for 50 million bucks. So, you know, look, could they continue to just get funding and just continue to drive that flywheel? It's possible. Could they get to a point of escape velocity? It's possible. Do I think that the business is sustainable in the long term? I don't because they do think that they have, that they're, consumer is less price sensitive because it's a sports-focused service, which may be the case. However, if they have any hopes of achieving scale, which is like 3 million plus subscribers, they're going to have to start going after a non-core subscriber subscriber that is more price sensitive, that is going to have a higher propensity to churn. And if you look at YouTube TV, they have 2 million subs. If you look at Hulu Live TV, they have over 3 million subs. And you're getting, you know, better service, better content options. So, Andrew, just to, just to clarify, right, um, the key thing you're saying is that in a, it, looking at the direction of the market and looking at the product, Ubo is, in your mind, the loser. And then all the other stuff comes on top of that, meaning like the, the shady financials, the le- leverage, the the non-payment to the media companies, uh, the lockup that happened. I don't know if there's another one coming, you know, if there's more chunks to be sold. Um, all those other things. But the number one thing you're, you're commenting, the number one part of the short is the future of the industry is not this and this will lose, right? That's kind of like your core when you come yeah, it's when gonna, I push yeah, you. It's going it's, it's, it's to flame out, right? And then, you know, the other, the, yes, like it's just not – the future, like 10 years from now, there's probably going to be a VMPPD to some extent, but it's going to be a shadow of its former self. And it's probably only sustainable within a larger business, right? So YouTube TV and Hulu Live TV are probably going to own this market, which is something, Ami, that we see a lot with like, especially um, with uh, tech and uh, internet, right? Especially because you're going from like, siloed, fragmented, you know, uh, forms of distribution and technology, right? Whether it's like going from, you know, server-based technology where every single company has their own hardware to the cloud where it's all kind of centralized, right? Or to something like the internet where like you have these fragmented content distribution systems that are limited by geographic geography that are then all of a sudden going to the internet and they kind of consolidate and they can get better, achieve better scale, right? And that's kind of what's happening, what I think is going to happen with live TV. So I think that there's a market for it. I don't think that it's, it's on a sustainable path, but I think that the two winners are going to continue to win and, and capture the lion's share of, of what this market's going to end up looking like, which is not going to be something that's super attractive. Um, both from a, you know, a scale profitability standpoint or from a real growth standpoint at some point. And that's going to be YouTube TV and Hulu Live TV. And there's, and everyone else is kind of 
just going to not be able to sustain because really there's no reason why you go with Fubo TV. Like they don't have any competitive advantage. I guess that's the, the, really the biggest issue here. Right. Um, every just, dollar that, yeah. they, that they receive has to be paid out in content and more. It has to be paid out in content, plus they have all this churn. Um, yeah, I think you laid, laid that part out. Yes, it's, it's a well. terrible business. And, you know, like I said, the sports, the sports piece is interesting. They're trying to launch a sports book because they believe that they have this platform that has a lot of engagement on it. It's a very sports-first sports. Um, like a lot of their uh, subscribers – uh, consume a lot of sports, so then could they potentially get, you know, diversified into a higher margin business by getting into sports betting? And, you know, what I know of that market is that, you know, the customer acquisition costs are extremely high, and it's going to be very hard for them to compete without any proprietary content because they're going up the likes of, going up against the likes of like Barstool Sports, DraftKings, FanDuel, uh, you know, the list goes on and on, right? The regional casinos, the local operators. It's just not, it's just, yes, it's a, quote, big addressable market, um, but so is, I guess, the market that they're going after currently. But it doesn't mean that it's a good business or that they're going to be successful over the long run. And so that's basically... Yeah, but, what, yeah, but what, if they, what if they make an electric vehicle? All right, well, I don't we know, can man. stop there. <laughs> we could stop I don't know. There. You're, you're, you're um, blowing my mind. I know you're a big picture. <laughs> that's a little too much for me. I was kidding. Um, all right. Well, Andrew, thank you so much. Um, we all got a lot smarter on Fubo. Um, and I think there's probably more thinking to do here, but it, it was a tremendous uh, half an hour of content and conviction. So thank you very much. And, and it inspires me to go look for something like this that um, – has all these like this horrible direction painted all over it, like just a like you know, come short me sign, you know, <laughs> in neon lights. Yeah. Thank definitely. you. Thank well, you thanks, very much. Yep. Thanks everyone. All right, everybody. See you next time. The preceding has been presented for informational purposes only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute an investment recommendation or legal tax accounting or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye's subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the Terms of Service at Hedgeye.com slash Terms of Service.